Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. When you look at the scriptures and you begin to explore the life of Jesus, probably one of the best words that I know to describe his life is amazing. I mean, when you begin to look at what the Old Testament had to say about the coming of Jesus, and then you take what is said in the Old Testament and link that to the New Testament, and you take note of the fact that both Testaments literally fit together, hand in glove. Jesus was an interesting man, to say the least. And his life, nothing short of amazing. When people sometimes talk to us at work, at school, on the ball field, the golf course, wherever it may be, and they begin to discuss things that are spiritual in nature, it may be the case that sometimes they'll ask us, what was it that prompted what was it that prompted you to become a Christian? What was it that prompted me to become a Christian? Well, no doubt there are a lot of things that we could say, and there are a number of answers that might be given as to why we became children of God. But one of the reasons that we became a child of God, we were, we were drawn to Jesus. And I think about what was said in John chapter 12 of how there were people in the first century that wanted an audience with Jesus. And there are a lot of people in our world today, I'm convinced, they want an audience with Jesus. They want to know about the amazing life of Jesus. There are some that know something about the life of Christ. They have bits and pieces, but they've never really taken the time to explore what the Bible has to say about the Lord. There are others that have misconceptions about the life of Jesus. And so what that does is gives us the opportunity to share the amazing life of Jesus with others. In the first century, there were lots of people that had the opportunity to hear the Lord firsthand. They heard him speak. They had the opportunity to hear him preach. Some were privileged to see him work great miracles. When you look at the body of work that he left behind, you'll see that many of the people that observed his works, heard his words, they obeyed him. On the other hand, there were some who continued to live in unbelief. That's always puzzled me. It does puzzle me why some people can obey and others disobey. But as we think about the amazing life of Jesus, I want us to begin our study tonight by taking note of what the Lord has done for us. And really what we want to do is look at what the Bible has to say about him. And then as we bring our lesson to a close, we want to ask the question, what are we going to do with Jesus? And then another question, what can we do for Jesus? 
Let me begin by saying that the Bible talks about the virgin birth of Jesus. I have never met somebody on planet earth that was born of a virgin. But I can go back some 2,750 years and I read about a person that was to be born of a virgin. Isaiah, the statesman prophet, foretold of the virgin birth. In Isaiah chapter 7 at verse 14, there was an announcement made by the prophet concerning the coming of Jesus. Now you just think about that. 750 years before Jesus was ever born into this world, there was a prophet that said, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus was indeed born of a virgin. Matthew said that prior to the birth of Jesus, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Fear not to take unto you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. For it is he that shall save his people from their sins. Matthew said, all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. And do you know what he does? He goes all the way back to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and quotes what Isaiah said. The virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being translated or interpreted is God with us. Now there, there are some that have the mistaken notion that Jesus never existed until the virgin birth. I can assure you that Jesus, the second member of the Godhead, was alive and well when Isaiah penned his prophecy 750 years earlier. Because Isaiah spoke of Jesus or the Messiah as deity. In chapter 9 at verse 6, he said, He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus was the second member of the Godhead. Micah foretold the birthplace of Jesus. Matthew tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea as it was written in the prophets. In Micah chapter 5 at verse 2, Micah pinpointed the birthplace of Jesus. And he said, His goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting, from the days of eternity. Jesus existed in the very beginning with God. He was with God when the world was created. Typically we talk about God the Father as the architect. Jesus was the agent by which the will of Almighty God was consummated. Now, we talk about his virgin birth, but then there's a second thing that we want to think about in relationship to the life of Christ, and that is his virtuous life. Again, I think about the amazing life of Jesus. I said a moment ago, I have never met anyone that was born of a virgin. 
nor have I ever met an individual quite like Jesus. What, what is it that sets, that sets Jesus apart from the human family? His virtuous life, his purity? Take into consideration that Jesus lived some 33 plus years here upon planet Earth. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, he was tempted in all points like as we are, but here's the difference. He was sin free, yet without sin. Can you imagine that? Somebody living on planet Earth for 33 years and never violating the will of Almighty God, never committing one sin. Now you can look at Matthew chapter 4 and you can examine the temptations of Christ and those weren't the only temptations that the Lord faced. Luke tells us that the devil left him following the three temptations that he encountered on that occasion until an opportune time. So no doubt the devil did everything that he could to mar the sinless life of Jesus, the Son of God. But Jesus remained sin-free, God in heaven, sent his Son to planet Earth to be a sin offering for the human family. That required on the part of his Son living a perfect life so that he might be that spotless lamb given for the human family. Now we look at the, the various temptations that Jesus faced in life. Go back and, and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Take note, if you would, of everything he said. Show me one time where Jesus ever said one thing out of harmony with his Father's will. Did you know that it was said of Jesus in John chapter 7, verse 46, no man ever spoke like this man? I guess not. Because he was an amazing individual. And then you begin to look at his body of work, the many things that he did. We talk about sinning or violating the will of God in word and in deed. Jesus remained sin-free in word and in deed. That tells me he was someone very special. There's a third thing I want to call your attention to. And that is the vicarious death of Jesus. When we speak of the vicarious death of Jesus, what, we're, what we are really emphasizing or underscoring is the fact that he was our substitute. You and I, because of sin, we're separated from God. The human family as a whole, separated from Almighty God. Isaiah talks about what sin does to the human family in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. And yet Jesus Christ was able to come to this earth and serve as a mediator. In other words, Jesus was able to come to planet earth die for the human family, and bring God the Father and mankind together. An amazing story in and of itself. As we think about the vicarious life and death of Jesus, let me just ask this question. Why did Jesus come to planet Earth, live among men, and die on Calvary's cross? Let me tell you why. 
Number one, because he wanted to fulfill the will of Almighty God. God had a plan in motion before the world was ever created to redeem the human family. Somebody says, why did he choose this plan? Because he's God. We talk about the wisdom and knowledge of Almighty God. No wonder Paul said, how unsearchable are his ways and his judgments past tracing out. When we look at what Scripture has to say, I can tell you why Jesus came to planet Earth, to fulfill the will of Almighty God. Secondly, because God in heaven loved his creation. He continues to love his creation. And because Jesus loves us. He loved those who lived in the first century. He loves us today. Here's what Jesus said about his work. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus would say in John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world was under condemnation. Why? Because of sin. So Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. So, here's what that entailed. Number one, Jesus had to be willing to make some sacrifices. Have you ever stopped to think about the great sacrifices that Jesus made for us? In Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about the pre-incarnate Christ, that is, before Jesus existed in bodily form. He said, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. And being made in the likeness of men, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, yes, even the death of the cross. So here is Jesus Christ, who willingly left heaven itself, the association that he had enjoyed with the Father throughout all of eternity, time past. He leaves that, comes to a sin-cursed earth to walk among men. His sacrifice and his suffering. When I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are a lot of things that... that make me pause and reflect. Sometimes I question things. But here's something that I've thought about a lot. When you read the gospel narratives as they relate to the betrayal, trial, and crucifixion of Christ, have you ever, have you ever wondered... Why would Jesus, the creator, allow his creation to mistreat him, to mock him, to scourge him, to spit upon him, and then to crucify him? I can tell you why. Because he loved us. Because he loved those in the first century, and he loves us today. I can't really wrap my mind around that. 
to, to be honest. I think about Jesus, the creator, coming to execute the will of God the Father and the heartache, the shame that he experienced on our behalf, on my behalf. It's hard for me to understand. And then there's a third thing. We talk about his sacrifice and his willingness to obey the will of the Father. But here's what you need to see. Jesus literally emptied himself and came to this sin-cursed earth so that you and I might enjoy one thing. It's called salvation. What is it that gives us hope for a better day? It's the Lord. Salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. To know that we have access to a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. To know that Jesus is the Savior of the entire human family. Do you remember what the angel said to Joseph? Mary would bring forth a son. His name would be called Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, when we reflect upon the great sacrifices that, that Jesus made, his service to the human family, and then the salvation that has been afforded us. There are a lot of things that, that we ought to reflect upon. Let, let me just pause here and say this. When, when we talk about the death of Jesus, his vicarious suffering and death for us, we might talk about it theoretically. We might spend time talking about it philosophically. We might look at it scientifically. We might even examine it medically. But until we look at the death of Jesus personally, it's going to be meaningless to us. Look at the life of the Apostle Paul. In Galatians 2 verse 20, the Apostle Paul, when he evaluated the, 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 the life and death of Jesus, it was a personal thing. He spoke of Christ who loved him and gave himself for him. Christianity is meaningless to us if it is not taken personally. Do you know why some people are not committed and dedicated to the cause of Christ? Because it has never gotten down in to the very fiber of their being. In other words, it's not personal. It's not on a personal level. If we talk about Jesus theoretically or philosophically, or spiritually, but we never make application and realize, look, the Lord died for me. It was for me. Then we're not going to get it. When the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, he would say, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I have to see myself as a sinner in need of a Savior. And thank God that Jesus Christ willingly came to this earth and died for my sins, and not just my sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And then there is the victorious resurrection of Jesus. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about the gospel. He sums it up by saying that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
that he was buried, and that he was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. That, in a nutshell, is the gospel. Why is the resurrection so important to us? Well, let me just say it like this. Without the resurrection, Christianity is meaningless. Christianity either stands or falls on the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, then our preaching is vain, our faith is vain, and we are still in our sins. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is a fact. Read again the gospel narratives and note the emphasis on the witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul speaks of those who saw the resurrected Christ. He talks about Cephas or Peter and James and the disciples, the apostles. He also referenced some 500 brethren that had visibly seen the Son of God. And then turn over to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 4, by way of implication in Acts chapter 5, do you know what the writers were talking about? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here were men that were willing to die for the resurrected Christ. Let me also say this. When we, look at, when we look at the New Testament and we think about the resurrection of Jesus and the implications of that resurrection, did you know that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead? That was a statement to people then and to us now that this is indeed the divine Son of God, that everything that Jesus claimed to be, he was. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. And the Old Testament writers, the psalmist, for example, foretold of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was raised from the dead. And the Bible tells us that he has ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of Almighty God. Angels, authorities, and principalities being made subject unto him. Jesus, who sits at the Father's right hand, has been vested with all authority. He has all authority today in heaven and on earth. But here is another thing you need to see, the visible coming of Jesus. The Bible talks about the coming of Jesus. There is, first of all, the time of his coming. No need to search the scriptures for the day, the hour, the time, in which he will come, because the Bible doesn't say. Jesus said, of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only, in Matthew 24, verse 36. Peter said that Jesus would come as a thief in the night. That's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. So Jesus will come at some time, unknown to the human family, but known by God. When he does come, the world as we know it will be destroyed. The heavens will dissolve. 
the elements and the works therein will be burned up. When Jesus Christ comes, the Bible says the graves will be opened. There will be a resurrection. You see, Jesus has the keys to the cemetery according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. When he comes, there will be a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. I say all of that to simply underscore this fact. Jesus and his life, amazing, from start to finish. Now we talk about what the Lord has done for us. He has done incredible things for us. We are saved by his grace through our obedience to the gospel and we live in fellowship with him day in and day out. We have the hope of heaven because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus is an amazing person. He's done amazing things for us. But here's the question. What are we going to do with Jesus? In Matthew 27, verse 22, Pontius Pilate asked that question. What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? That is a personal question. That is a question that every man, woman, and child must answer. What am I going to do with the Lord? I can either accept him or I can reject him. I can submit to him or I can disobey him. The answer is mine to make. So I want to ask you, what are you going to do with Jesus? Sometimes we ask the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? But we don't ask it on a personal basis. I want it to be personal. I want you to think about it personally. What are you going to do with Jesus? Not what your neighbor's going to do with him, not what your children will do with him, but what are you going to do with him? And then I want to ask a third thing. What are you going to do for him? Let's just say that you decide to obey him. You decide to live for him. If you decide to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it he would have you to do? Let me tell you what he would have you to do. Number one, he would have you to dedicate your life, the entirety of your life, to his service. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. When I become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am in effect saying, Lord, I'm now in your army. I am a part of your kingdom. You are my Lord. You are the ruler of my life. So whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, that's what I want to, that's what I want to do. I want to comply with your will. So, number one, you can commit to him. You can dedicate your life to his service. Number two, you can tell other people about him. 
In Mark chapter 5, we have an account of Jesus casting out demons. And the individual from whom these demons was cast out wanted to spend time with the Lord. And here's what Jesus said. Go home and tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you. Is it not the case that all of us could tell our friends and neighbors the great things the Lord's done for us? I mean, when we pause and reflect upon our life prior to Christ and our life after having obeyed the gospel, is there not such a dramatic change in the way we were living, in the quality of our life, in our happiness, our contentment, our state of mind, that we can say, look, there's no better life than the Christian life. So that's the second thing we can do. And then the third thing is live every day like it's your last because, you see, we're glory-bound. Live every day as if it is your very last on planet Earth, living with the expectation that one day heaven will be your home. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.